Hi, and welcome to the Circle Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Velvet Buzzsaw in today's statistics episode. We reap the wind and the sky when the sun is high. We sail the length of the seas on the ocean breeze. At night we name every star. We know where we are. We know who we are, who we are. Velvet Buzzsaw is a new movie just released on Netflix today. I finished watching it less than an hour ago and put in all the information to my spreadsheet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, now we're gonna talk about some stata- statistics uh, for it. Uh, all right, let's jump into this. Velvet Buzzsaw is a 2019 film uh, that I saw today, February 1st, 2019. And My brief synopsis is art people are killed by art. It's pretty pretty straightforward. It's an hour and 48 minutes long, or thereabouts. And currently has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 70%. uh, Pretty early, I think, with the reviews. So I I imagine there'll be some fluctuation to that number as as more trickle in. I gave this movie a 50 and, and and so 50, literally right down the middle uh, on my ranking scale, two and a half stars on Letterboxd, because there, there are some br- brilliant imagery in this. A lot of evocative, uh, picturesque scenes, uh, I would liken them to maybe even um, Annihilation, uh, if I may. But on the other hand, it I, I mentioned in the last episode I'd seen all seven Child's Play Chucky movies in the last few days. This does play out kind of like a generic slasher in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I think it's very uninteresting. And I think the kind of crux of my problem is that there's a huge cast in this movie which I, I really enjoyed. I like a lot of these performers. I even like a lot of them in this movie. But the film, in a lot of ways, felt like once the slasher elements start getting into, coming into play, we're just flitting between one character, between characters until they're gone, is basically what's going on. And I don't know that I just that doesn't have any I don't know it's not tense it's not thrilling it's it's monotonous it's just it's monotonous that's kind of how I felt um okay 50 50 though 50 uh because you know it does look good we'll get we'll get more to that we'll get more to that um okay uh Rotten Tomato score last I looked 70 like I said uh currently it is sixth highest ranked film of 2019 that I've seen. Uh, overall, every film I've seen, it is 4,240th. Pretty far down the line. But let us move on to director. Director. Because I like Dan Gilroy. I like him quite a bit. Uh, that being said, uh, of the three movies I've seen... I only actually liked one of them, which was Nightcrawler. So this is the third film of his I've seen. 
Uh, it lowers his average film rating to a 64. It is his only film rated in the 50s and second best movie overall, coming in behind Nightcrawler and ahead of Roman J. Israel Esquire. His value of 1, a score of 39.4, and is ranked 450th overall tied with Ty West, director of The House of the Devil and The Innkeepers. Uh, one spot behind Richard Brooks, who directed Elmer Gantry and was Oscar-nominated for directing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. And one spot ahead of Wes Craven, Red Eye, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, and uh, other screams and things. So, Dan Gilroy's direction is fun. I think that's the best way I could describe it. It's fun. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. It looks nice. It draws you in to these characters who... And for the most part, are, are two-dimensional, who, who serve a purpose, and if they have not have no purpose, they are excised from the story quite quickly. But I did think, especially you know, comparing it to something like Nightcrawler, which I think is is great. Velvet Budsaw leaves so much to be desired because Nightcrawler is is such is a great thriller and does not fall into genre slasher trappings, which Velvet Buzzsaw does. And it might simply be Gilroy hasn't directed one of those before. I don't, I don't think he has. But on the other hand, it, it shows that he, he, he knows what those, the se- sequence of this type of movie is, and he kind of just like falls into it, uh, like one domino after the next. Until you know, at the, you know, you're you're halfway through the movie, and it's like, okay, now we're setting up for this attack, and now we're setting up for this, and for this, and then, granted, some of the the framing looks nice, and the style is fun, but the actual sequential steps taken to get us to that point are pretty straightforward, and. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Blech. I don't. Know. It just didn't. It didn't work for me in that sense, and I, I think he didn't quite follow through and and push that boundary enough as far as it when when he had the director's cap on to make it more interesting than just a Nightmare on Elm Street, for example, or a you know a Scream, at, or or. Halloween, you know, all of those did something more interesting from a fundamental level than Velvet Buzzsaw. Whereas Buzzsaw was very much by the numbers on fundamentally, but in the sort of peripheral view of the film, it that's where it took its risks, and I think that wasn't enough. I, I, I don't know. It was stylizing things without affecting the substance, if, if I can characterize it that way. Moving on to the writer, also Dan Gilroy. This is the seventh writing credit that he's had, and uh, it lowers his average film rating to a 61.83. It's his third film rated in the 50s as a writer. It Keeps his value at a 2, his score at a 50.09, and he is ranked 259th overall. Uh, one spot behind Sean Baker, 
who is the writer on The Florida Project. Uh, one spot ahead of John Hughes. Planes, Trains, Automobiles, Ferris Bueller, Breakfast Club, etc., etc. Uh, Dan Gilroy, Velvet Buzzsaw, currently ranks as his fourth best film as a writer. Hold on a second. The math's not adding up here. Oh, six films. Six films. Ooh, that might change things. It should change things. I don't know how much, though. Um, it does knock him down a bit. Yes, it does. All right, scratch that. He's 313th overall with an average, with a score of 48.38, uh, tied with Casey Robinson, uh, Oscar-winning writer for Casablanca, uh, just behind William Rose and Herman J. Mankiewicz, Oscar-winning writers for both Guess Who's Coming for Dinner and Citizen Kane, and he is just ahead of Evan Hunter, who wrote High and Low, Birds, The Birds, uh, among uh, and and so on. The writing in in so so of the six films, Velvet Buzzsaw number four, just ahead of The Bourne Legacy, just behind Real Steel. The writing is again, I think, more symptomatic of the structure of this film, uh, and and since the structure is one of the weaker points, in my opinion. Uh, the writing is fairly weak. I think the characters are written decently. Uh, there's enough meat on their bones to let the actors kind of breathe a little. But a l outside of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Rousseau, most of them are pretty two-dimensional as well. Uh, or even one-dimensional or uninteresting and and un lack com they're not compelling and you want to i don't know like you you when you're watching a, a sort of slasher type movie you want to have some kind of attachment to these characters whether that's positive or negative you need to have some connection between the characters and the viewer so that if slash when they die there's something going on there uh it, it matters it, it makes the attack meaningful it makes their that character surviving or dying have a point and too often in this movie that just doesn't happen uh, go back to child's play and chucky movies nine times out of ten that's not you know the only characters you're connected to is the single character that makes it to the end and that's great in that sense but for all the other characters that dies like uh whatever uh, so so what was the point and i think while not as blatantly bad as those movies velvet buzzle does fall into that pit and has trouble getting out of it um Nat uh, natalie Dyer, uh, dyer's character saying that right double check the girl from um stranger things natalia not natalie natalia dyer uh, i liked her character a lot but i felt like there was so much missing from the characterization of whatever her name was coco coco that i couldn't fully get invested in her outcome 
So, and I, I think a lot of that lays at the feet of Gilroy with the writer's hat on in this instance. Now, for acting, bunch of names, bunch of names. What do we got first? First up, Jake Gyllenhaal. This is the 37th film of his I've seen. Drops his average film rating to a 60.57. It's his fourth film rated in the 50s. 26th best movie overall, coming in behind Bubble Boy and ahead of The Shoes, colon, Time to Dance. He has a value of 11, a score of 68.46, and is ranked 135th overall. One spot behind Marjorie Bennett and one spot ahead of Lester Dorr. Gyllenhaal plays the main character, I suppose, Morph Vandewalt. What a name. And similar to Okja, maybe not quite as bizarre as he was in Okja, he's, he's really stretching himself. And I liked that a lot. I thought that was interesting. I thought that was fun. It was... I, I enjoyed seeing, seeing his character when he was on screen. But... I don't. I mean, like, not not a lot. I want to like criticize about him. He's one of the, you know, it's February second when this is going to be released, but it's you know he he's one of the my favorite performances of this year so far. But you know, grain of salt. I think that while I mentioned how the writing gave him enough to work with, and he did he took it as far as he could, and I think uh, for for better or worse. I think his character was missing one one more level for me that he got in Nightcrawler. He did not get in Velvet Buzzsaw. You know, his in Velvet Buzzsaw, you know, his uh Mort Morph is is plagued with paranoia for much of the film and that's fine. I I think it's a far less compelling trait than the uh sort of psychopathic apathy that he shows a lot in Nightcrawler. I, I think there's just so much more for him to, to dig his teeth into in Nightcrawler than there was in Velvet Buzzsaw, unfortunately. Uh, next is Pat Healy. This is his 16th film credit. It drops his average for me to a 66.13. It's his second film rated in the 50s, 11th best movie overall, coming behind Take Me and ahead of Home Alone 3. Uh, he has a value of 6.5, a score of 65.28, and is ranked 225th overall. One spot behind Brendan Gleeson, one spot ahead of R. Lee Ermey. Uh, Pat Healy, who is... Oh boy, so many names. Find him. Pat Healy, who plays Man from Perlac. Uh, kind of sad. I, I really like Pat Healy as an actor, and... Uh, they didn't really give him much to do. Uh, he was great in compliance and cheap thrills, but everything else I've seen him in, it's pretty much some bit parts. So not much to say about Pat Healy. Next up is Tony Collette. This is her 26th film credit. Drops her average film range to a 56.23. It's her second film in the 50s and 16th best movie overall, coming behind her Oscar-nominated performance in the sixth sense and ahead of a long way down she has a value of 1.5 a score of 53.71 and is ranked 941st overall tied with captain america chris evans one spot behind james uh Conady, and one spot ahead of eugene bird 
Uh, Tony Collette plays Gretchen, who is uh, an art curator. I think she like runs the museum where most of the art is shown throughout the film. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think she was fine. Uh, you know, there's there's no character to her. She's the third build name on, on Letterboxd. And uh, I don't know, I, I really didn't feel like she left that much of an imprint. Uh, she's fifth build uh, on IMDb, which is probably a little more accurate as far as her, her role goes. But yeah, I, I was just, you know, just kind of... She was there. I don't know. There's not much to her to her character, unfortunately. Next up, David Diggs. This is his sixth film credit, and it drops his average film rate to a 66.17. It's his only film in the 50s and fifth best movie overall, coming in behind Tour de Pharmacy and ahead of his animated role in Ferdinand. He has a value of 3.5, a score of 53.13, and is ranked 989th overall, one spot behind... Nigel Hawthorne, and one spot ahead of Bill Paxton. And V. Diggs plays Damrish in the film. Not a big role, but unlike Tony Collette, he left a mark on me personally. I, I thought he did really well with very, very little. And there was one scene, perhaps my favorite shot of the film, where it's just... David Diggs and uh, someone else will get to him. And he's just, he's sitting on sort of a elevated platform in the middle of a show, an art show. And he's just staring, just appraising, analyzing, and staring at a particular work of art. And that's it. A, a second character enters the frame. And the the contrast between these two people both in appearance in age in uh, perception is is great i loved this shot it's almost wordless and perfect and i think a lot of that has to do with david diggs uh his just presence and uh john malkovich John Malkovich, great, uh, great playing opposite him uh, as an aging artist and David Diggs as an up-and-coming artist and both just staring at this picture thinking, man, it, it, I don't know, it just, it just washed over me in a really effective way and I really enjoyed that. Next up is Billy Magnuson. This is his 13th film credit. Drops his average film rate to a 56.23. It's his second film in the 50s. Ninth best movie overall. Coming in behind The Meddler. Head of the Brass Teapot. He has a value of 2. A score of 50.73. And is ranked 1,251st overall. One spot behind Corey Stoll. One spot ahead of Bridget Fonda. And similar to Pat Healy, honestly. uh, Billy Magnuson... Hardly a character. Uh, his character's name is Bryson. We see him maybe twice, honestly. And uh, that's it. 
Next up is the aforementioned John Malkovich. This is the 34th film I've seen him in. Drops his average film rating to a 50.97. It's his sixth film rated in the 50s and 19th best movie overall, coming in behind Empire of the Sun and ahead of Con Air. He has a value of negative six, a score of 42.14, and is ranked 2,306th overall, one spot behind Pat Morita, one spot ahead of Alex Karpovsky. Uh, I mentioned John Malkovich, aging artist in the film. He's kind of on his way out. David Diggs was, at the start of the film at least, is on the way in. And, uh, I don't know, he, he... he gets less to do in this than he had in Bird Box, if you saw that. And, you know, he had a, he, he had something to do in Bird Box, I thought. Uh, he does not have much to do here. And it's a shame. He does get, like, the last scene of the movie, which is interesting. Uh, but, yeah. Strange. Very strange. Uh, he seemed completely unnecessary in this role, except for the one shot with David Diggs, which I liked, and I don't know if it would have been, been uh, as effective with a different actor beside John Malkovich. Besides John Malkovich, but other than that, unnecessary. Next up is Renee Russo. This is her 16th film credit. It increases her average film rating to a 46.75. It's her fifth film rated in the 50s and ninth film overall, coming in behind Major League and ahead of The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. She has a value of negative 6.5, a score of 35.06, and is ranked 3,237th overall. One spot behind Hermione Corfield and one spot ahead of Pierce Brosnan. Uh, Rene Rousseau, second build in the film. Uh, she plays Redora Hayes. She is also uh, she's a art curator. She buys and sells the art. Uh, typically, at Jake Gyllenhaal morphs Van de, Van de, Velt, Van de Walt's uh, discretion. And Again, uh, she was also in Nightcrawler. She had a great role and performance in Nightcrawler. And here she's just kind of there. Just uh, servicing the plot rather than thriving in it. And it's just a shame. I I think there's... At times it feels like the film stretches itself too thin across all these characters... And then, even when there are less characters to to bounce between, uh, we still don't get they they they're not elevated though. By the, we've got we're deep enough so far so deep into the film that the screenplay and and Gilroy are no longer concerned with giving them additional dimension and uh, suffers for it suffers for it. Next up is Tom Sturridge. This is his sixth film credit, increasing his average film rating to a 48.5. It's his fourth film in the 50s and fourth best movie overall. Coming in behind, on the road, and ahead of Mary Shelley. He has a value of negative two. A score of 34.38 is ranked 3,328th overall. One spot behind Damon Wayans and one spot ahead of Barry Bostwick. Tom Sturridge plays John Don Don. John Don Don. Uh, Hated it. Hated it. Didn't. Anytime he was on screen, I was just unhappy. <laughs> That's the truth. 
Next up is Natalia Dyer. This is her second film credit. Uh, drops her average film rate to a 55. It's her only film in the 50s and second best movie overall. Coming in behind, Yes, God, Yes. She has a value of 0.5, a score of 28 even, and is ranked 3,943rd overall. Tied with a bunch of people, including Julie Benz and Sia. Uh, she's one spot behind Cynthia Stevenson and is one spot ahead of Greg Sestero. The Greg Sestero from The Room. Like I mentioned, Natalia Dyer plays Coco. She is an assistant to... want to say Rene Rousseau. I can't really remember. Might have been Tony Collette. Uh, either way, she is in this sort of assistant Emily Blunt Anne Hathaway to Meryl Streep in Devoris Prada role, except far less uh, far far worse written. But I thought, and I, I really like Natalia Dyer, especially you know seeing her in Stranger Things. I think she's very good, and I think she could have been so much better in this movie but her character is kind of a nothing character and even with one of the weakest characters written in my opinion i think she's able to do a lot more than some of the other people like i re- i remember her more than i remember tony collette i remember her more than renee rousseau honestly and uh she's in a fraction of the screen time that they are so i liked her i think she's worth not not worth seeing it for but i I think if you do see the film haven't yet uh, i would pay attention to natalia dyer next up is oh boy uh zaw ashton this is her second film credit increases her average film rate to a 44 that doesn't the numbers don't make sense Ew. It's going to mess it up again, isn't it? No, maybe not. Sorry. Oh, it worked. Okay. Um, anyway, Zaw Ashton. This is her second film credit. Increases Harvard from Rainway 44. Even. Why does she have... Oh. Hold on. Man, I'm just... Mistakes all over the place. We are experiencing technical difficulties. And they have been resolved. Okay, Zaw Ashton. This is her third film credit. Increases her average form rate to a 44 even. It is her only film in the 50s. Second best movie overall coming in behind Nocturnal Animals and ahead of St. Trinian's 2, colon, The Legend of Fritton's Gold. She has a value of negative 1.5, a score of 24.9, and is ranked 4,178th overall. Tied with Thomas Lennon, one spot behind Robert Curtis Brown, one spot ahead of Bette Midler. Zaw Ashton, one of the characters I actually one of the actors I actually remember somewhat from this film. She plays Josephina. She is the she lives in an apartment. Someone else in her building has died. He was an artist, and the sort of uh thrust of the film revolves around these paintings that she finds in his apartment she takes them and they're pretty good they're kind of creepy strange weird but good uh 
she, I liked her. I, I liked her character. I liked her performance. I think a little too much is left to the imagination uh, as far as her motivations and her drive. I think a couple of times in the film, it's sort of pinpointed as greed, which is fine uh, on the surface, but I think that's way too simplistic uh, for this kind of a film. Uh, so I would have liked a little bit more there. Uh, but otherwise, I, I really did like her performance, and I thought she, she, Natalie, Natalia Dyer, and Jake Gyllenhaal felt like the best performances in the film. Those are all the actors. Uh, genre. <clears throat> so, uh, it's a horror film. Uh, it's a horror film. It's the 200 ranked, currently ranked 243rd of all the horror films I've seen. Uh, and it is a thriller, currently ranked 698th of all the thriller films that I have seen. Uh, it comes in with a three on the Bechdel test, multiple female characters that have conversations. It is rated R for things. Um, films with the same score that Velvet Buzzsaw got, so 50. Looking at last year, you have... Andre the Giant, Halloween, The Mule, The Death of Superman. Uh, you want to go back to 2017, there's even more. Um, some short films, definitely. Megan Levy, Quest, 116 cameras. Uh, go back to 2016. You've got Mammal, The Secret Life of Pets. Keep going. Z for Zachariah, The Night Before, Legend, Take Flight, uh, Island Island of Lemurs, colon, Madagascar, About Last Night, Bear Story, Interstellar, colon, Nolan's Odyssey, documentary, uh, Scenic Route, Loveless, The Art of the Steel, so on and so on and so on. Um, does not have an Oscar nomination. May or may not get one. I think it's a little too early for it to even make it that long in the conversation, and the reviews have not been super great. Uh, it does currently register on the Circle of Film Awards, but I'm going to hold off on bringing those up until after 2018 is completely done with in that regard. And moving on to the year. Um... Let me just adjust that. Uh, this is one of the 17 films that I've seen, released in 2019 so far. One of the 171 films that I've seen in 2019 so far. Uh, current average rating for 2019 released films is 36.71 from me. Uh, and uh, current Rotten Tomatoes score as the spreadsheet updates. We'll get back to. Uh, it is a horror film. It is the third horror film. It is a thriller. It is the sixth thriller. Currently, the ratio of good to bad films in 2019 is zero. Zero to 11. Uh, this is neither a good nor bad film uh, from a statistical standpoint, so it does not move the needle. It is a three on the Bechtel test, part of the 47.06% of those. It is R-rated. Uh, the fifth one of those that I've seen. And the Rotten Tomato score now for 2019 films is 64 even. 
64 even. It is the 109th film rated 50 on my spreadsheet. 109th. It's a lot. Um, that's it though. That's kind of it. Like I said, I I have lukewarm, more probably more negative than positive feelings. Uh, there might even be a world where 50 might be a little too high, but I, I think Gilroy sacrifices substance for style, and that's not always a bad thing. But it, you know, maybe it's just me, but in, in this particular genre with this particular theme I felt like it really hurt the film to do so and I uh, you know he's uh, he's clearly a very good filmmaker unless I don't know maybe Nightcrawler was a fluke uh, I guess we'll see because uh, I wasn't super high on Roman J Israel either but as it stands uh, Velvet Buzzsaw Thumb sideways. Thumb sideways. Uh, that's that's it, though. Uh, thank you for listening to today's episode. I apologize that it is coming so late. I will do better next week and get everything out on time. Thank you for listening. If you would like to follow and get updates if there's going to be a delayed episode, you can generally get those in a timely-ish manner on Twitter, at Circle of Film. You can also email circleoffilm at gmail.com or follow me on Letterboxd, uh, username Circle of Film. If you would like to see more, find more episodes and other information and stuff related to the podcast or my movie spreadsheet, you can head over to circleoffilm.com for a lot of that and other things. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so for as little as eight cents an episode on patreon.com slash circleoffilm or just simply rate and review on iTunes. Uh, equally as appreciative of those and that's it so thank you for listening to today's episode and as always have a week so long farewell i'll be the same good night i know she'll never leave me even as she fades from view so long farewell i'll be the same adieu nothing's really left or lost without a trace Nothing's gone forever Only out of place So long, farewell Oh, what I'll be to say Wait a minute Wait a minute, Wait a minute. So long